Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. My name is Dan Lust. On this lovely Friday, I'm joined by Justin Mater in the co-pilot seat. What's up, Justin? How are we doing today? So for those that don't know, Justin has become intricately involved in the Conduct Detrimental Animal. You are helping uh, with the editing of our ConductDetrimental.com updates on the, the public on the publication side. Actually, I should mention a shout out to Stephanie Weissenberger for giving our website a facelift in the, in the past couple of days. So making some moves over there for our podcast listeners, you guys will know. And then Justin, obviously been helping out on the production side with our guy, Mike. So on this lovely Friday, you know what Mike's doing. He's busy with work. Justin, you know, when Mike's away, the boys can play. So we have a pretty busy episode. Justin, a pleasure having you on. Has the conduct team been treating you so far? Oh, it's been great. I know that I've had multiple people reach out to me to make, you know, my transition and introduction a smooth process. It's been great. Been able to be at the forefront of everything sports law. So it's kind of what I want to do with my career. And there's no better start than working with conduct detrimental. Justin, you have said it very well. Justin, you are a recent graduate of UNH, one of the top sports law programs in the country, uh, with our friend Michael McCann, friend of the show, and Dylan Harriger, former uh, sports law president over there, too. You know, two good contacts of ours. So in any event, we've been trying to record, and it's not intentional, but we're doing a lot of Friday recording just because the, the news ends up breaking on Wednesdays and Thursdays, and then we got to jumble everything around. So we got a lot of topics to cover today. Dan Wallach and I had an earlier episode in the week to talk about sports uh, betting issues. We talked about Missouri sports betting. We talked about the UFC MMA issues. We tried to keep that pretty self-contained to betting. And then, you know, we were going to do a Griner episode. We we're going to do a Washing episode. And then there were other topics we wanted to hit. So what we're going to do, we're going to lay this out. We're going to cover a little bit of Washington, Justin, you and I, a little bit, but Dan and I are going to dedicate a, a more heavier episode, probably on Monday or Tuesday that'll come out. But in addition to Washington, we're going to talk about Brittany Griner. It's some really big news and international standpoint topics, you know, a topic that we obviously, you know, we've talked about over the past couple of months. We'll talk about it. The college transfer portal. We are right now in like full chaos mode. So we'll talk a little bit of what's going on in that space. I think that's important. Always always good to get some NCA NIL updates. We're going to talk about UVA, obviously a tragic incident that happened a couple, maybe about a week or two ago at this point, a tragic shooting incident. We're going to talk about how the NCA provided some exemptions, how that fits into the NIL era. And then last but not least, we don't do college coaches that much. So some rumors swirling around Deion Sanders moved from Jackson State to Colorado. So we'll talk about it. It's the rumors that people are seeing on the message board. So again, we're not sure if the rumors are true, but enough people are talking about it, enough posts going viral that it would be odd if we did not comment on it. Justin, before we get into the fun stuff, did you see the Pat McAfee shout out? I did see it. Yes. It's one of those things where you start to realize just how much conduct detrimental is reaching out to the sports world, the sports media world. It's not just sports lawyers and those who are interested in sports law that are hearing these episodes and taking quotes from it. It's, you know, it's more mainstream media and the Pat McAfee show has a large audience. I know I'm, they're from my hometown. They're based in Indianapolis and that's where I'm at currently. And it's just amazing to see that somebody with that big of an audience can shout out conduct detrimental and, just goes to show you that sports and law is the new thing. People are getting into it, and it's just great to see. It certainly helped that Congress called their Dan Snyder and Washington report the conduct detrimental report. Obviously, that that helped. Uh, people are asking, like, are you going to sue Congress? I'm like, uh, no, we're not going to sue Congress. Yeah, obviously, we'll, we'll let Congress slide on that one. But they did us a huge favor. A lot of people reached out to us, letting us know about that. And then, you know, obviously, we had to jump on it. So, um, I don't know, quick behind-the-scenes story. I saw... I saw the first report come out uh, at that point. At that point, the GOP 200 page report hadn't come out, but I'm 
you know, piecing through the report and, you know, Justin, you know, and anyone who listens to the show knows that we are very much in the weeds of the commander stuff. So again, Dan and I are going to dedicate a full episode to just discussing Washington next week. But, you know, if you want the cliff notes, 95% of that report is a regurgitation of stuff that we already knew or we like we likely knew. Like Dan Snyder knew more than he let on. He was being obstructionist during his deposition. Like, I don't know. I, I would have bet my reputation on that. That would have been the case that Snyder knew a lot more and he was hiding different things. He was behind the scenes, whatever. So what I found really interesting as I was scrolling through, there was an allegation from Bruce Allen, the former team president from the, the then Washington Commanders or Washington Redskins, that he reached out to the NFL and said, who was leaking these John Gruden emails? And the NFL, Lisa Friel, allegedly told Bruce Allen, we're not leaking them. Those are coming from the team, a.k.a. from the commanders. So all of a sudden, right, all of a sudden, I mean, that's that we've never heard of. That has never come out. I think there were some people trying to speculate where that leak came from, if it came from, you know, the NFL's office, if it came from the Raiders that they wanted to get out from Gruden's contract, if it came from like a rogue, like WikiLeaks-esque hacker or something like that. But there were people in my replies throwing out that it could be Snyder. And I'm like, eh, that's a little far-fetched for me, but I remember it. And and I'm like, wow, these Washington fans, they pegged it. They pegged it. Uh, this is, you know, Congress found it sufficient enough, incredible enough to put in their report. So the tweet I wrote is, you know, essentially, you know, uh, the 79-page report's out. If you're looking for the bombshell, it's on page 42. Here it is, and it's helpful for the Gruden case. And we'll talk about the Gruden stuff on, on Monday as well with Dan or Tuesday whenever the episode comes out. But, you know, Justin, to your point, like, I don't know, we're kind of in a vacuum with the stuff. I find the stuff interesting. You find it interesting. You know, we're, we're getting to the point where we have, you know, never like to say the exact amount of listeners, but we're about to hit 300,000 total downloads in our career. And we haven't been doing this for that long. So we do it for our audience. And then what do you know? Like, I don't know, McAfee's interested. We got a shout out from Mike Florio over at Pro Football Talk. You know, and then my phone kind of blew up for different calls from radio stations, different states, cities. So I don't know if if we are the flag bearers for sports law in, in 2022 as a, as a website, as a podcast, I love it. So listen, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of uh, early morning. How, how exactly am I going to tweet it back McAfee-esque mornings? But, um, you know, it's all it's all good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I'll have to check out the show. I know that I believe it starts at noon. It's either noon or one o'clock. And I used to watch Pat McAfee show all the time when I was in law school, because I just had days where I didn't have classes. I didn't have, well, I had reading to do, but I, I could put that off a little bit. But it was one of those things where I would keep up with some of the issues that were happening in sports through the Pat McAfee show. So just interesting to see that, you know, the sports law world is merging with the sports media world again and again. And, you know, this is where it's at. We'll take it. We'll take it. It's a blessing. Count our lucky stars, smell the roses, all the good stuff. But we got a show to do, Justin. We got a show. That's why people come here. Let's do this one. So we talked about Washington. I think we talked about it enough. That's obviously the story is the commander's report. Okay. So let's get to uh, our first topic on the deck is Brittany Griner. So for those that, that know Brittany Griner has obviously been detained in Russia for a long period of time. You know, unless you're sleeping under a rock, the news is that Brittany Griner is coming home, a prisoner exchange. Again, our show doesn't intend to be controversial or political by any way, shape, or form, but we lay out the news, and there's obviously some some legalese here when a criminal is being exchanged for another criminal, and there's a trade involved here. So, you know, the charges that we've talked about once upon a time, Brittany Griner was arrested in February 2022 on charges that she brought vape cartridges carrying a small amount of cannabis oil into the country. You know, a couple months passed, Griner, uh, I think in August, Griner was sentenced to nine years in prison, and her appeal was denied on October 25th. So I, I remember saying at the time, Justin, like, hey, it's nine year sentence. Like, it's not going to be nine years. We're going to get a deal done ahead of time. You know, I, I think it's heinous and horrendous what happened to, to Brittany Griner. But I'm like, it's not going to be nine years. We just got to hope this happens sooner rather than later. 
So what happens? Okay. So people can dig into the details of Brittany Griner's situation. Why? I mean, I guess, if, again, if you don't know, why is she in Russia? Why is there a giant WNBA star there? Because WNBA doesn't pay as much as Russia does. So that's why Phoenix Mercury star and probably future Hall of Famer Brittany Griner is overseas there to make some money. So it was a little bit of a risk reward situation. And obviously, you know, assuming the allegations are true, you know, a little bit risky not to check your luggage uh, properly when you're heading into a country like that. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the deal that was stricken to to bring her back home. Justin, do you have some details on that? I have some thoughts on it, but I want to I know you've been you've been looking into it. Yes. So there was actually video of the exchange that occurred in Russia. So we do have video. And of course, Brittany Griner was shown on the plane heading home and she was exchanged for Victor Bout who is a convicted arms dealer. And this was something that had been talked about for a long time. This was the exchange that people thought would happen. And it's one of those things that Brittany Griner is coming home. And I know her family is excited about that. I know the WNBA for the longest time has been wearing free BG shirts and has had logos on their courts. And so this is something that the Biden administration has definitely felt pressure from. And I know that they've been in talks with Russia for quite a while. We did cover previously on the podcast that she had been transferred to a penal colony, and this was something that they wanted to try and avoid as much as possible. But it is good to see that the deal was able to get through and that Brittany Griner is coming home and Again, there are a lot of debates going on about the exchange, and that's not something we're going to cover here. We're more just going to bring in the sports side of things to say that, you know, a WNBA star is coming home and hopefully going to be able to play basketball again here soon. Yeah, I mean, so, Justin, I guess we can we can talk about the the part that I, I'm not uh, I'm not blind to my replies on various forms of social media. You know, Brittany Griner, who's charged with a, you know, it's it's a cannabis offense, right? It's it's not, no one died. No one's being alleged to have been uh, murdered or anything like that from Brittany Griner. And the trade, right, Justin, is like for a guy by the name, like who's got a nickname, the Merchant of Death. So we're just talking about, you know, the trade, right? Trading someone that was, uh, you know, charged, convicted, whatever you want to call it, for having cartridges of cannabis for someone that was called the Merchant of Death kind of sounds, right, Justin, am I crazy? It kind of sounds pretty bad on paper. Yeah, it sounds bad on paper, but I think you have to look at the optics. You know, with Brittany Griner being detained, a lot of people, especially those who went to Twitter, who have made sort of these campaigns, have felt that she was unjustly detained. And so it's not just about, you know, comparing the convictions and comparing the past. It's more about getting an American citizen home. And again, that's another sort of controversy that's gone on that has definitely I've seen the Twitter comments on about every post that has mentioned the Brittany Reiner exchange, even professional sports players are voicing their opinion about it. But in the end, you just have to realize that this is how political exchanges work. They don't, they're not always 50 50. Somebody's going to have a little bit of an edge. And in the end, you just have to realize that somebody is coming home, their family's going to see them. And that's a wonderful thing. So, you know, I, I think I think, Justin, that's fair. Again, just just putting all the stuff out there. Some people aren't thrilled with this result because obviously Brittany Griner's coming home. I think everyone's happy with that. But people are and I see it in the replies. People are a upset that like, hey, you traded you traded Brittany Griner for the merchant of death. Like that just seems like we lost that exchange. 
The other thing that that I'm I'm seeing a lot on social media is this narrative that how could we strike a deal with Russia that didn't include Marine Paul Whelan and bringing him back over? And I certainly see that. So I don't think a perfect deal was struck. Uh, I think, you know, probably if we're being honest, I think Russia probably got the better end of, of, of the deal. Call it like I see it. But that said, Brittany Griner is home. Hopefully a deal could be struck for Paul Whelan. And, you know, I guess the only thing to push back on, like the other narrative is like, yeah, congrats. We finally got Brittany Griner. Like, congrats, Joe Biden. It just took you like the entire year to do it. How did it possibly take so long if it was Tom Brady or LeBron? Like Griner would have been, you know, Griner would have been home before that if it was a male athlete of a bigger sport. And all I'll say is like, I, I really will push back on that. Like, if it was LeBron or Brady, do you imagine what, like, you know, or there's someone of that, like Michael Jordan, imagine what Putin would have done. Like, you know, it would have been like three equivalents of the merchant of death. Like, like, I don't know. I, I again, I just, I feel like that's the case. Again, I'm not saying it's okay and not saying it's good or it's bad, you know, but a deal was struck. It took nine months and it's not the perfect deal. It's by, by no means. And it's leaving people a lot of criticism, but you know, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Brittany Griner is home. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's the headline here. Definitely. I think that's the important thing to think about is, again, someone's coming home and their family can now rest easy that they're going to be home and that they can finally see them again. Because I know that was one of the big issues was when she got sent to the penal colony, nobody knew where she was for a while and her lawyer didn't, her family didn't. And so I'm sure that was just a horrible time for the family. But now that she's going to be back in the United States, they can rest easy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a situation that we can kind of close the book on. I mean, Brittany Griner, for for her sake, we'll see what are the future of her WNBA career is. And she now, you know, not not that necessarily a straight line comparison, but a guy like Colin Kaepernick, once upon a time, his career ended up ending. But his in terms of social justice movement, his voice became more important in that space. So we'll see what Brittany Griner does with her career. I don't, I don't particularly know Brittany Griner to be an outspoken person, but when you have an experience like this, you know, you never know what, what things will change. But obviously her name is now very well known on an international level. So hopefully people can obviously A, learn from the situation, but B, hopefully Brittany Griner can, you know, add, add you know, to whatever level she's comfortable in. It's a really kind of telltale story about what happened. And, you know, hopefully, you know, something good can come of it. But at least for our podcast, we're happy she's back home. Griner Sager is officially over for now. We'll see what, what comes of it on that. Okay. So, Justin, for the remainder of the show, we're going to hang in the college sports space. Before we do that, a reminder, our show is sponsored by the law firm of Orr and Horgan, our friends over in Nebraska. Uh, so, yeah, uh, those guys really did us a solid by sponsoring our college sports segment. So we try to explain they are not just the top law firm in Nebraska. If you have issues on a collective level or, as they say in Nebraska, a collaborative level, or if you are a student or a lawyer listening to this podcast and you say, like, what actually goes on with those collectives, those collaboratives? I know firsthand experience that Tom and Connor uh, are very well versed in that particular space. So you have any questions, you you find yourself in Nebraska. We actually have a good amount of our listeners from Nebraska. Certainly reach out to Orr and Horgan. In addition to Orr and Horgan, our, our podcast always sponsored by Themis Bar Review, top bar prep company in the galaxy. Use our promo code CONDUCT. We are the top conduct detrimental podcast in the entire galaxy. That's official. And Themis Bar Review, top bar prep company in the galaxy. We're just one and two, just the top two things in the galaxy. Okay, so let's do this. We got three uh, areas in the college sports space we want to hit. We want to hit the latest in the uh, the college transfer portal. We're going to hit UVA, and we're going to hit Dion slash Jackson State slash Colorado. Justin, you lead us off. Can you kind of give everybody kind of lay of the land and this chaos that's going on in, in, uh, in college football in this last like week or so? 
Yes. So the transfer portal opened on December 5th and we saw record numbers of players enter the portal. Uh, Since COVID, they have allowed players to have a one-time exemption of entering the portal. Normally, back in the day when you would enter the portal, you had to sit out a year before you were eligible to play another game. And given that the championship was announced uh, with the top four teams, uh, again, on December 5th, we just saw a huge influx of players. And not only a huge influx, but we saw very high-level players entering the transfer portal. I know that the team that I follow the most in college football, Clemson, had their quarterback, DJ Uyunglele, enter the portal. And it was something that a couple people did see coming. And by a couple, I mean a lot, after he was benched for the rising freshman in the champion ACC championship game. And he is a high value target for a lot of colleges who are looking to add value to either their media rights or any, you know, NIL influx that may occur for the program. And then of course you've got a ton of other quarterbacks. Another highlight is Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma state and this giant influx of Players to the transfer portal has also been fueled by the rise in NIL and the rise of collectives who are shelling out thousands of dollars to high level players and popular players to convince them to come to certain colleges. And I think this is where we're going to see, as you called it, the wild, wild west of NIL, where you're going to have players transferring all over the place. You're going to have players not just weighing the school or the football program, but also the money they can get from the NIL deals. So it's just one of those things where people start to realize that this is where NIL might come to a head. This is where with this influx of players with, again, about a thousand players on the first day, which is almost unheard of. All of these players are not going to find a home but they're thinking that entering the transfer portal is their best option. And you're just going to have this mess that is going to be players who don't find a home players who go to a program simply because of the NIL and don't fit with the football team. And that's just going to not only hurt the players, but it could hurt football programs as well. Yeah. It's a big shakeup in the space. And it's one like we're, we're very legitimate. Like, I mean, we called it the wild, wild West Lane Kiffin a couple Months ago at this point, uh, coach over at Ole Miss called it, uh, you know, free agency. That's like, what's what's happening? Is it a bad thing? Like, I mean, it's just, it's just different, right? We've gotten used to in the last, you know, better part of the last century of college athletes just not being able to make money. Again, not to get in the soapbox, but like, I don't know if you were really good at playing the guitar or singing, you could make money, right? Or if you were a good artist or something like that. We've just been conditioned by the, um, you know, the behemoth that is the NCA to think that like college athletes shouldn't get paid. College athletes shouldn't have mobility. You know, college athletes, uh, sometimes they'd have to sit out two years if they transferred. If they transferred to a school or a school within the same conference, that was a rule once upon a time, then they'd have to sit out one year. And then, you know, friend of the show, Tom Mars kind of like helped exploit that transfer portal rule by, you know, getting college athletes waivers, free transfer waivers. So that was Justin Fields. And people know that story that, of, you know, those guys transferring from SEC country over to the Big Ten country. But, you know, the NCAA originally said like, hey, we're going to make this like a one-time free transfer rule. And then like, we're going to make it harder you on the second time. And then like, it's a little bit of the same kind of stuff we're talking about NIL. Like everyone just kind of said, you know what? We're going to transfer again. What are you going to do about an NCA? You going to hold this back? You going to restrict player movement? And that again, you know, was kind of like the NCA just doesn't have any teeth anymore. So they called it, you know, once upon a time, the one-time transfer rule, right? But it's not a one-time transfer rule. Guys are transferring a couple of years. You have a couple of habitual, you know, transfer players. And 
you know, it's got to be pretty good for the athletes, right? You talk about a guy like Caleb Williams, who had a fantastic year over at USC. If things had shaken differently, those guys would be in the college football playoff. And a guy like DJ, right? He's a you know an all-world talent, just needs se- seemingly a change of scenery, just like Spencer Rattler did and kind of turned his career around over at South Carolina. So it is, it is free agency. The only, the only thing that's odd, and I want to say it's like, it's odd. It just, it's not like professional free agency. Like Justin, if you were like, like, oh, here's a good example. Like LeBron took his talents to South Beach. And then like, you know, that's when he signed with Miami. And we saw what contract he signed. We saw, you know, the general parameters of the contract that Chris Bosh signed and Dwayne Wade signed. And we just kind of had some idea of their compensation. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and not, not say we need to, but that level of transparency is not really known in the college sports landscape. Do we need to know how much money boosters and different programs in Adidas and Gatorade are spending on athletes? Like, no, we don't really know what marketing deals are spent for athletes. Like, in the general sphere, we don't really know that. We don't know what investments athletes are making. Like I was watching a, a podcast the other day with a friend of the show, Joe Pompliano, had Lance Armstrong on. And I guess Lance Armstrong lost a lot of money in different you know respects from getting money clawed back. But he had signed a pretty lucrative, uh, I think he had equity in Uber. I'm like, you know, I just found that out. Like, and I'm pretty close to the space. Like, do we need to know that? Do we need to know how much money the athletes are making? Like, probably not. But it's just, it's just something different. It's something new. It's not something that we're used to. And before people are quick to say this is ruining college sports, like, I don't know, let it breathe for a little bit. Let's see if the NCAA wakes up and, you know, wants to have have a say in this. But for now, right, Justin, to your point, it's like the Will Smith song, like, wicky, wicky, wow, wicky, wicky, wicky. It's definitely one of those things. And you mentioned that the NCAA might need to wake up. I think that's one of the main issues is that the NCAA is aware of some of these things that is creating this sort of wild, wild west surroundings. But at the same time, they might be afraid to try and push back on the schools too much because of some of the history we've seen with the NCAA and litigation. For the longest time, it seemed like the NCAA was just winning every case that they possibly could when it came to, you know, players' rights and controlling different conferences and stuff like that. But recently, we've seen that. Judge Kavanaugh in his concurrence sort of pushed back on that and let the NCAA know that they weren't this all-powerful being anymore and that there was a possibility that they could be vulnerable in certain respects. So the NCAA, and this is the reason we saw with their original NIL, what, almost two years ago, that they just put out the most brief report about NIL and a couple of things that they wanted to see not occur yet. They're too afraid to put out a comprehensive NIL structure because they know that there will be pushback from somebody and that they're not completely safe anymore. And that's one of the things that I think is again, contributing to the wild wild west is that the NCAA really can't do anything for fear that they might lose other powers that they have against the conferences. Let's dive into that for a second. I mean, like, you know, I, I usually use the expression, like, and I've done it on the show, like if, if, you know, if a tree falls and no one's around to hear, does it make a sound? And like, if there are NCA guidance and no one's following them, like, I don't know, it's almost like you have no guidance. I, I heard another way to explain it, which I think is probably more appropriate. It's like, you know, all these schools right now are going like 120 miles an hour, 110 miles an hour. And there might be a speed limit, but no one's enforcing it. And the question is like, if you want to go 150 miles an hour, yeah, maybe no one's enforcing it, but like, I don't know, like, it's not the safest to do that. Right. It's what, what, what are we really doing? Right. So 
I, if you're, if you're one that like is in favor of a free market, like that's fine. Like things are going pretty well for athletes, but what, what I'm fearful of is someone that represents schools. And I speak to a lot of schools in the space. Like I have to use my words very carefully, but like there are certain state laws, you know, New York being one of them, where the involvement of the school with a type of collective or in the athletes, like it's very heavily legislated. We'll see if anybody polices it, but at some point, Someone's going to want to police. Someone's going to want to make a name for themselves. At some point, the tide's going to flip. And it's not just going to be pro-athlete. Let's put our foot down, literally, like, you know, no pun intended. Like, let's put our foot down on the pedal. Let's go, like, play your rights. Someone is going to make a stand. And they're going to say this has gone too far, right? Like, I don't know. Like, and again, I'm not a, you know, like a Second Amendment guy. And again, I'm not political. But, like, there are people that pay a lot of money to protect, like, gun rights, right? At some point, someone's going to pay a lot of money try to get some lobbying efforts to really help the NCA out or help, you know, a particular school out in a particular state. So I'm just mindful of that. I don't, I never would want a client of mine to be, to be at the edge, to be where Miami was for a period of time, kind of like in the crosshairs of all of this. So again, no, no hate on Miami. Just everyone was talking about Miami for not the right reasons. Did they get punished? No, but that doesn't mean what they were doing was smart. So I don't know. Yeah. And, and to your point, Justin, you, you raised it, that, that line at the end of, um, you know, Justice Kavanaugh's opinion, like the NCAA is not above the law. We're seeing ripple effects of that everywhere. We talked about it two weeks ago with the college baseball uh, coaches antitrust case. Now people are challenging the NCAA there. The transfer portal, athletes are just going left and right. Uh, and the NCAA is not putting their foot down anywhere. So just because like, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the like radar detector cop is not paying attention doesn't mean you should go 200 miles an hour, right? Like, Justin, you, you've laid this out pretty well. And I, I think the point is taken, right? Like that the NCAA doesn't really want to do anything. They're afraid of a getting everyone to yell at them. B, you know, I think truly, truly scared of antitrust um, liability that could result here. So just rest assured, the NC rarely has any wins. They put out this guidance of everyone's like, what was the point of even putting out the guidance? So you guys aren't doing anything. Your guidance makes no sense. Why are people paying you? They did something last week that I think they thought would be a win across the board. And by and large, it was viewed as, as a very big win by the NCA. But I read all the comments. I read them back and forth. I get people in my DMs and ask the question. So, Justin, can you do just a brief background on what happened with UVA and the you know this tragic incident that happened? Yes. So, as you said, this was sort of a win for the NCAA. And those who follow the sports world know, of course, of the tragedy that happened on the University of Virginia campus where the wide receivers, Lavelle Davis and Devin Chandler and linebacker Deshaun Perry were unfortunately killed in a shooting that happened. And in the wake of the shooting, the University of Virginia football team decided to cancel its last two games. And this was something that everybody supported and it allowed the team to heal. I know that there are stories of the team using this time to hold a memorial service on the University of Virginia campus and also allowed the football team to travel to the funerals of all three players, one of which I believe was held in Virginia and then two others were out of state. So it gave them the opportunity to heal. I know this was a very shocking experience for a lot of the campus because these players were well-liked and seemed to be great teammates from all the accounts. And so the NCAA stepped up and said, look, given what happened and given the tragedy that struck and the fact that two games were taken off the schedule, we are extending an exemption to any UVA player, UVA football player specifically, whose eligibility expired this year. And so any seniors or super seniors who had a fifth year or even a sixth year at this point due to uh, the COVID exemption as well, 
this would allow them to come back for another year to either help their draft stock or just allow them to play football another year, finish up their degree and stuff like that. And not every player is going to take advantage of this. I know that some of the players on the UVA team have already declared for the draft, but it's just a huge win for the NCAA in the wake of a tragedy that rocked an entire campus. I mean, if I was in the NCAA's shoes, I mean, like this, this story doesn't happen. It's an absolutely tragic story involving the death of active football players in the team. I mean, it's, it's terrible. You know, I, I will just say for the life of the NCAA, for, you know, the history of the NCAA, they've been very, maybe the NIL era is different. Maybe you get positive change, but for the history of the NCAA, they've been very, you know, um, I guess like pre COVID, they really did not give out these extra years that, that willy nilly. Like they just didn't do it. And we have, we've had other tragedies on other teams. You've had players um, in other sports, you know, historically have other, you know, really unspeakable tragedies, you know, young uh, athletes in their, their teens or early twenties committing suicide, some really other, you know, terrible tragedies, you know, you and I, Justin, in our show is certainly not going to be in the business of saying which tragedy is worse than another tragedy. But if, if an entire team is going through something and losing a teammate, I mean, I guess I like that the NCAA is instituting some change, but We'll just note that it's it's new. It's not really within the NCAA's old operating protocol. So I had some some former athletes reach out and just say, you know, it's great that they're doing that for UVA, but what about X? What about Y? What about Z? I'm not I'm not going to call them out here, but like I think it's fair, you know. But the NCAA is trying to trying to get a rare win, and I, I think you know if you ask me, you ask me for my opinion, and I, I try to you know try to call it like I see it. I think the NCAA probably did the right thing. I mean, just I think a, a school shooting like that involving a former player and current players like. That doesn't happen. Uh, it's a really unique situation. Should they have given uh, exemptions in other years and previous years? Sure. Like, what's it to the NCA? Like, why does it really matter? Like, I don't know. You can have a freshman that doesn't get to play for an extra year, like a, a high school kid that gets a, gets blocked behind a, a senior that repeats a year. Like, is it really that bad? So I don't know. I, I think that the NCA. Hope, hopefully, this is the start of a new loop where they're like factoring in like. Just real life, real life things happen. You know, there's were stories of like students getting all their wins vacated for uh, like using a like a telephone that was in the wall and getting it free from the school. Like I remember this is old tennis case, but like, you know, hopefully we're, we've got the end of those stories. I just I for for my own personal sake, I'd love the NC had some role. I just like they're not really doing much like this, I guess, is something. But this is this is the absolute bare minimum. Yeah, it's definitely something that, again, the NCAA had a rare win. I, I don't really like calling it a win. Uh, this was a tragic event that occurred, and it's just good to see the NCAA step up and allow those players to have another year of football that they can use, again, to be with their teammates that they all love. I'll agree with that. Yeah, it's not really a win. That's probably not the right term, but it is what it is. Okay, so moving on, let's do our last college sports topic. There has been this movement like, you know, players should be able to transfer if their coach leaves. That's always what has been said pr prior to this kind of transfer portal era, NIL era. So what do we have happen over at Jackson State? Deion Sanders, he's brought a lot of attention to the HBCU scene, and I think in a really positive light. And Jackson State has had tremendous success with Deion Sanders. You know, an NFL Hall of Famer, you know, he's a broadcaster, he does stuff at Barstool, he's all over the place. And to wear all of those hats, plus have a very successful team, plus do very well in the recruiting portal. Like, I don't know, Deion Sanders is a, you know, is a very hot uh, head coaching candidate. So, you know, there's two, a couple of things we could hit on here, but, you know, obviously Deion Sanders leaves Jackson State, you know, now those athletes, now that Deion's left, they can put, you know, go into the transfer portal, they could switch schools too. But our story, at least today, is going to involve what's going on and why Deion Sanders may have left 
Jackson State and maybe some ripple effects on the other side when now he's in the Pac-12 with Colorado. So Justin, I know you, again, I've done some excellent research into this. This is, again, we'll see allegedly, reportedly claimed. These are not uh, factual findings, not being reported by like Washington Post, New York Times, LA, you know, LA Times, anything like that. But some viral, what was it, like an Instagram post? Like screenshots of an Instagram post that kind of went there? Yeah, I believe I saw it on Twitter. Of course, anything that ends up on Instagram is eventually going to make its way to Twitter. And it wasn't very hard to research this topic because it seems like Deion Sanders is everywhere now, especially with his move to Colorado and his very interesting and assertive first press conference that he had when he got to Colorado. But these rumors regarding Jackson State seem to be the thing that people are latching onto the most right now. And those rumors include money that was withheld from Sanders. I know that there is a clip circulating around of Dion talking about how he was told that the game was going to be sold out in a 60 person stadium. Yet when he was given the records of the attendance, only 28,000 tickets were sold. And this is important because Dion's contract with Jackson State had a couple of provisions that were almost like performance based as far as what we see, you know, for professional athletes, you know, hit a certain amount of yards rushing or, you know, win a certain amount of games, you're going to get an extra bonus for Dion. The specific provision was that if the team sold more than 30,000 tickets, Dion was entitled to 10% of the ticket revenue generated for that game. And so he kind of, you know, hinted at this, didn't make any clear accusations, but people have run with this and more information has seemingly come out from a source. And when it's always just a source, you know, we got to take it with a huge grain of salt, but there are more allegations that money was misappropriated and that Dion himself spent a lot of money making the facilities better. And people feel as though he was sort of, done wrong by Jackson State and that could have been one of the reasons that he decided to take this more lucrative job at a Pac-12 school in Colorado. Yeah, do we well, let me let me ask you Justin, do we know what the source is for these messages? I do not believe there is a source. I think that the post of all the information was anonymous and they have just like I said, every instance I've seen of it has just said a source from Jackson State. I don't know if there's any name attached to it. The only, I mean, well, listen, while we're telling the whole story, people have dug up old clips or not that old recent clips of Deion Sanders saying, you know, I, I see that the games are sold out. And then when we get the numbers back, Jackson state wants us to believe that there's only 29,000 fans in the stands. And that, that was a fairly recent quote from, from Dion, who was saying that something doesn't add up. Now could Dion be going to Colorado because it's a bigger program and it's a, there's a lot more money upfront money to be given to him. Like, yeah, I mean, he certainly could be doing that. He was at Jackson State for two years and brought a lot of attention to the program. Could he also be leaving because of what's going on behind the scenes? Sure. What would that amount to? I mean, honestly, it's one of two things, right? It seems to be either fraud or, uh, you know, allegations of fraud, or it's really breach of contract. We have to see what's going on there. But if people within the university were taking money uh, and kind of underreporting money, having almost like a Dan Snyder-esque situation, underreporting the amount of people at games, I think... You know, Dion's contract has, has language along the lines of like above a certain amount of fans, you would get to have basically equity. So whatever amount of tickets that we sell, you get a percentage of that. And if Jackson State is or someone at Jackson State is underreporting the amount of fans at the game, 
and it's not really lining up with like a complete sellout and like, Hey, we have 60, we're supposed to have 60 fans there. It looks like 60 fans there. But when I looked at the numbers, there's only like 15,000 fans in attendance. Like that, that is an element. Either a fraud, breach of contract, you know, we'll figure it out. But those are, that's the gist of the allegation. I saw Justin, this really interesting note. I mean, like we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it, but just a story that people should be aware of. So the AD over at Colorado, they announced that Dion's hired. So I don't know what the exact numbers are. It's, it's a good amount of money. It's like a couple tens of millions. It looked like the amount of money. So somebody asked the AD offhand, like, you know, what, what do you think about the signing? Like, how do you get all that money? And the AD responds, I thought it was so funny. He's like, he's like, well, we don't have all the money yet, but I'm confident we'll be able to get it. Have you ever, like, it's gotta be a little alarming. I mean, I, I just think that's the power of Dion. I think that the AD is assuming that with Dion Sanders coming in, that they're going to receive a boost in funds that they receive from boosters, funds that they receive from sponsors and stuff like that. I believe that's what's going to happen. And of course, him saying this, I really hope this was communicated to Dion beforehand, because if he signed the contract for uh, however many millions of dollars over his tenure at Colorado, and then comes to find out that there's no money, that it's kind of, you know, going to be an IOU that's handed to him. I can't imagine I, that happens. I mean, that I, would be- I can't either. So the quote, the quote, just to put it in context, uh, the AD over there is a guy by the name of Rick George. So he writes, this is the exact quote, quote, we don't have the money yet, but I know we'll have it. So I'm not worried about that piece. I'm worried about it. I'd be worried about it if I'm Dion's agent. You know, it's not, it's not a small chunk of change. It's 29 and a half million over five years. So, and then the year one money is five and a half million. And then it's, I think it's $200,000 raise, uh, you know, give or take over the life of the contract. So Dion's going to be given a lot of wiggle room a lot of leeway to rebuild a Colorado program that's largely been irrelevant the last couple of years. Now, the last piece of this that I wanted to tie in, Colorado's in the Pac-12, Pac-12s, you know, uh, USC, they were basically one win away from having a team in the college football playoffs. So I think things are decent with the with the Pac-12. So George Klyavkov is the commissioner over there and made a comment over the weekend or over the past week that I thought was interesting that I think the Pac-12 is in the middle of renegotiating their, their media rights. And obviously we've talked about on the show, Big Ten signed a $7 billion year over seven years. So it's like a billion dollars a year. It's big money. Deion Sanders might be the, uh, maybe with the exception of Lincoln Riley, like, or maybe Chip Kelly, like the high, highest profile coach in the entire conference. Like maybe he's the highest profile coach, the biggest name. And maybe that moves the needle. I'm not sure how much money that adds, but I, you know, I certainly think it's interesting. He essentially said that we're going to have to, you know, maybe, maybe reevaluate the Pac-12 media rights deal in light of the Dion signing. So then people were like, wait, the Colorado coach is going to impact the media rights deal. And he walked it back a little bit, but you know, I, I do think it moves the needle. I mean, Dion was never a coach before went into Jackson state and made a winner out of nowhere, out of thin air and got some pretty high level recruits. So could he do it at Colorado with more money? Like, I mean, all, all of his clips are going viral. I mean, like I see Dion all over my timeline. So I'm, I'm, you know, stranger things have happened. I think he adds value. I think he adds a ton of value, not only just with his winning mentality. I mean, Jackson state went 12 and 0 this year. He was able to take a program, again, an HBCU that wasn't, you know, doing amazing at football and was able to recruit with, you know, an immense amount of success and bring a team together to just dominate the uh, conference that Jackson State was in. And so I think bringing him to Colorado, even though Colorado is not the biggest name in the Pac-12, I mean, the Pac-12 is losing, actually, its two biggest names in USC and UCLA to the Big Ten in 2024. So it just 
you know, you're losing value as far as those two teams, but with Dion and the way he's able to work the media and the way he's able to bring in that attention to the program and the Pac-12 in general, I think is going to add a lot of value. And who knows, maybe that's where the money's coming from. They're waiting for that TV deal to drop. And then, you know, eventually Colorado will have the money to be able to pay Dion. You said it well. So that's what we got on our terms of our topics. Let's do this before we get out. Obviously, we're going to bring Conlon on to close the show with our better edge betting segment. Okay, let's do this. What to watch for. Try to do this every every other week or so. Stuff that we've been watching that we try to recommend to you. Could be stuff on the sports landscape, games going on. You know, I think it'd be, you could one could do the World Cup. Um, I will have a different recommendation. I like to give out shows. A show that I have been somewhat recently. Welcome to Wrexham. Justin, familiar with Welcome to Wrexham? I have heard of it, yes, but I have not managed to check it out yet. For those that don't know, it is Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, their plight to purchase, and they obviously did purchase a football team in a lower division English football league called Wrexham FC. It's just very well done. And if you like Always Sunny or if you like, you know, Deadpool, you like stuff for Ryan Reynolds, do they, they've somehow found a very interesting way to tie like a sports docuseries, but to have like obviously the comedy that those two both bring. So it's a good show. And if you're not necessarily like a big you know, soccer fan, it's there's a lot of sports business elements. You really get behind the scenes of ticket sales and hirings and firing. So I certainly like that. And then uh, Justin, you want to know a fun fact? You ready for this? Absolutely. Ryan Reynolds and I currently live in the same zip code. How about that? Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. I don't know if I live you know, close to anybody impressive he, here in Indianapolis. He lives in the in the really nice part of town. And I live in like, you know, like, eh, it's okay. There is a world where our children could be in school together. So I'll just say that. Okay? There's a world where our, our kids could be friends. So Ryan, if you're listening to this, stay free and clear of me because I might try to get my daughter to be friends with, with your kids. But daughters, I guess. Uh, I have two, two little girls. So we'll see. They're very sweet. But, you know, they might end up being friends with the Reynolds. So see what happens. But Justin, what do you have on a what to watch for? So my what to watch for is actually uh, something that's been out for over a year now. And of course, as I've mentioned before, I'm from Indiana. And so the one show that I just loved watching was the Untold series on Netflix and specifically the episode on the malice at the palace. This is one of the stories that I remember growing up hearing. I was going to games, uh, Pacers games, during this time when Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, Steven Jackson, and Reggie Miller were on the team. And I remember the fallout of this. I remember how security changed at games. I remember how, you know, tickets became a little bit more expensive because of the way that the Pacers kind of elevated themselves and, you know, became a little bit more popular. Luckily, this was in Detroit. It was not at one of the games that I went to in Indianapolis. But the documentary itself is amazing because it just highlights from the player's perspective some of the things that maybe the media kind of overblew or didn't tell correctly. I know that Ron Artest has a lot of stories about it because he was kind of seen as the ultimate villain in that story. And of course, Steven Jackson is just hilarious the whole time telling stories about it. You know, there's the story of the security guard not recognizing Reggie Miller and thinking that he's a fan that just came onto the court. I don't know how you don't recognize Reggie Miller, especially with his tall stature and the fact that he was just on the bench, but again, and that he's Reggie just, Miller, but uh, yeah. And that he's Reggie Miller, of course. And so just, Watching that documentary was great, and uh, I recommend the whole Untold series. I think Netflix does a great job with those pieces. 
The other good one on Netflix, Justin, great wreck is bad sport. So between untold and bad sport, you get a lot of good sports content on Netflix. Okay. So that'll do it for us, Justin. Excellent job. And uh, to close out the show this week, we'll bring back on Conlon Farrell. Keeps nine, two and one here, but Justin, great job. And uh, yeah, let's kick it over to Conlon. Conlon, these segments are not as fun when you keep winning because I don't have anything to say. Nine, two and one. That's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, the greatest shows on earth typically leave you speechless, Mr. Loss. So, I mean, that's my counter to that right there. They hate us because they ain't us from the uh, wonderful film. Uh, what is that? Seth Rogen Pineapple and Express. James Franco. I'm going to keep being consistent, keep providing winners to our wonderful audience. So, listen, let's let's do this. Let's do some business here. Better Edge. It's the Better Edge segment. Conlon picks, doesn't pick against the house. He picks against random betters that he picks off. He just, he just picks them off one after the other. Nine, two, and one. Better Edge is the social betting platform. People like Conlon and myself will set the line. They'll pick what they want. They'll pick the points and they'll just see what other social uh, people kind of come at them. So set the line at plus 250, minus 350, but you can adjust the line what you want. If someone doesn't take the bet, so be it. Conlon has done an excellent job, really. And I mean it, nine, two, and one. So we're ending the getting toward the end of the season. Obviously, I had a good pick last week with the Cleveland Browns. I wasn't going to ride with Sean Watson. I wasn't wrong about that part. Very rusty, but you cover with some uh, defensive touchdowns, special team touchdowns, but a win is a win. Conlon, this week, where are you taking us? So we're taking out to the Pacific Northwest when Seattle plays host to the dreadful Carolina Panthers. Listen, the Seahawks have been kind of a revelation this year with Geno Smith at the helm and quarterback. You know what I mean? He leads the league in completion percentage. Maybe they found their next guy. Listen, he was a former New York Jet. I don't want to take too much credit for his now emergence, but listen, they're minus three and a half on better edge. Get them right there. Look, Carolina's playing for next season. And I also think about this. I think about an East Coast team going out West, maybe a little, you know, I mean, jet lag, stuff like that, all those factors. And on top of that, Seattle really has something to play for now that Jimmy G's hurt in San Francisco. So listen, that division's still right there for the taking. San Francisco plays host to Tampa Bay. Tom Brady's coming off a hot win this past week against the Saints. Look, if Seattle really wanted to make a run at the division title, this is the week to do it. So Seattle Seahawks minus three and a half against the Carolina Panthers at home. 12th man, all that good stuff. It's Geno time, baby. So that's what I'm taking this week. I like it, Conlon. And listen, let's keep it rolling. I'm rooting for you now. I wasn't really rooting for you before, but you know, I'm, I'm told that Better Edge likes your picks. I'm told that the universe likes your picks. I've never heard so many people root against the guy that makes them money. You no, guys, but this now is why 2022 is the weirdest time of all because it you just doesn't make us. You're, we're now okay. on your side here. I mean, I like uh, I like messing with you. I'd, I'd love, like, if this was Bill Simmons' million-dollar picks and you were losing every week, I'd have so much fun just needling you. I'd still let yeah. you have, have so much fun with it, but you're winning, so I just I just got to patch you on the it's back. It's the holiday me. season. I'm trying to give people a little, you know, an extra buck in their pocket here. Um, just doing the if, Lord, just doing Santa's work. If you lose this week, I'm going to go back to just uh, kind of just relentlessly going at you, but let's let's try something new this week. I'm on Team Conlon Farrell this week. Let's go, baby. Let's get to 10, 2, and 1. Conlon, Absolutely. excellent, excellent job, and that'll do it for another episode of Conic Detrimental. For Dan Wallach, myself, all of us here at Conic Detrimental, we'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental.